the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Wow, my voice sounds metallic today. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. This is one of those shows every now and then that I like to do a little bit more on the generic tips, hints, and advice kind of angles. For instance, there's something called the Dow Jones Transports, and it's made up of planes, trains, and automobiles. It's things that, you know, uh, drive, literally push our economy different directions. Um, when it hits a 52-week high, that bodes very, very well for where the stock markets are going, the S&P 500, as well as the Dow Jones Industrial Average 30, maybe even the Russell um, 2000. A little less so that, but it bodes really well because if FedEx and UPS and if Boeing, if um, the different airlines, the different train companies... If their stocks are doing well, they're considered a, a discounting mechanism for the future. So they look six months in the future. That's the thought on the stock market. So right now, if you take a look at the stock market today, it's looking six months in the future and it's saying, we're at a record high or when we're at a record low or when we've pulled back. When we're at a record low, it's saying things are going to look bad six months from now. Things are going to look worse than they are now. You're going to see more unemployment. When we're at a six-month high or when we're at an all-time high and it's saying six months down the road, things are still going to be chugging along pretty good. Now, again, it's not perfect, as well as you can imagine, you know, trying to predict who's going to win the Super Bowl this year. It, it looks like the Broncos, but who knows? So that's a good piece of advice. That's something to, you know, tuck away. Another piece of advice is the 10-year Treasury. 10-year Treasury, when it sits under 4%, 10-year Treasury is considered safety. It's the United States government has always paid their debts. So the U.S. Treasury, it's a 10-year U.S. Treasury note. When the 10-year Treasury sits under 4%, it's telling you, you know, buy stocks. Stocks have historically got somewhere between 8 to 10%. 8% plus dividends, 10%. 
So when bonds historically get 6%, so when the 10-year Treasury starts getting closer to the bond level of 4, 4.5, the historical norms, that's when you go, you know what? Safety is, is, is prudent. But when the 10-year Treasury is low, it stimulates the economy because borrowing costs go lower, stimulating the economy. You basically put money in Americans' hands, in American entrepreneurs' hands, and they figure out a good way of spending it. The 10-year Treasury is a pretty good indicator for me on when to buy stocks and when to buy bonds. Now, again, is it perfect? No. But take a look at history. It's pretty darn, pretty darn accurate. Now, again, those are just two things I taught you that you can go on and teach your children. You can teach your children's children. It's been a historical norm. Will it be a historical norm going forward? No, because Wall Street has this, this thing um, about you know past performance not indicative of future results. We're not trying to like play games with you. We're just trying to say like, hey, things do change on occasion. You know, U.S. capitalism turned into, woo, China's opening up. Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. Good morning, Rob. I like to find hints, tips, and tricks. Anything in the world of lending um, that's magic, like a magic number or anything in real estate that you want to talk about that's like just you feel is a truism. Magic number. Credit? Um, well, no, probably, I, whatever you want to talk about, like real, um, estate, real estate always goes up, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, truisms like that, the, you know, if you get the right mortgage, you can always pay down your mortgage. Um, your value of your house has nothing to do with how much you owe in the mortgage. Um, I think a lot of people get caught up in that. Uh, you know, a lot of people bought back in the real, when the real estate crisis started yep. or during that, you know, or, or leading up to it. Um, and they, they're looking now, you know, in, 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 in what's happened over the last several years, and they're like, oh, the home prices have gone down, and they've come back up. Meanwhile, they've been paying principal off the whole, the whole time. And a lot of people forget that, you know, one year later that you're paying a bunch of principal. Next year later, you're paying a bunch of principal. But what a lot of people get caught up doing though is they think that that's their bank account. You know, it's it's lost income in a lot of cases for people, uh, or what they call a loss of rate of return on interest. So um, there's not really a big trick in, in real estate except doing playing it smart and safe and not listening to the, the people who say real estate always go up. One thing that I like that you said there, and hopefully people can start digesting it, is what you owe on the mortgage has no reflection on the value of your home. Um, I know that sounds ridiculous. What you took your mortgage out at has no reflection of what your home value is today because it changes. Um, and again, there's all things like the value of the dollar. Even though the principal that you're talking about, mm -hmm. yes, you're paying yourself principal, and that's great. But the value of the dollar, when it weakens... It creates a situation where your home's worth less because of, due to inflation. So it's interesting to note. Like, um, I I think people don't understand. It's not the home that you can afford. It's how much mortgage can you afford. Yep. So, and the average American, like, I think the average American probably about fifteen hundred. Because you're looking at you know. Uh, uh, you're you're pretty close. Yeah, fifty thousand dollar income. Yep. So uh, what happens to when? mortgage rates go down, which they did over the last several years, is they people get 30-year fixed. And, and this is one of the things that a lot of people have been talking about, how this could be the new era of real estate, where people, so many people got the 30-year fixed at low, super low rates. And inflation will eventually go up, meaning that now that rate effectively is lower because that it's not going up with inflation. Right. So they've fixed in a certain dollar amount. And, and you know a lot of people are dug in like a tick, Rob. 
in these properties and they have super low rates, it's going to be difficult down the road as interest rates rise to get out of these houses and into another house and feel as comfortable as they do now. So this is what I would consider the beginning of a new era of real estate, including what's happening with millennials. Millennials. What do you imply with millennials? Just the, you know, the credit, the debt, the, uh, the, the ability to save down payment, the ability to live where they want to be. Uh, it's all being constrained. And we have a difficulty right now uh, turning these people into first-time homebuyers. And it's, this is something that's it's one of the fallouts, I believe, from the real estate crisis that a lot of people are going to start realizing. And you're hearing both sides of the stories right now about how, okay, more millennials are moving out of the house. Meanwhile, more millennials are renting. Home builders are building more multifamily. Home builders aren't building any single family because they know where the next fit. There's more millennials right now that, uh, and, um, that are, and are expected to rent than any other previous generation. So there's, but with that said also, and this is the final thought on this, the millennials have put off having children. And as they rent, they're going to have their biological clock tick and make babies. And they're going to go from renting to maybe going to the suburbs, maybe going to Tracy, maybe going 45 miles away from there's, there's another word for that. It's called reality check. That's it. Yeah. It's going to happen fast. With that said, that's Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. The old reality check when you uh, baby steps. And I think the interesting thing about the millennials that we're talking about is as they've lived with their parents and they're moving out, they're saying what I could really afford because rents have gone up so much is a closet. And they're happy to live in a closet. You know, there's um, places in San Francisco that are 400 square feet that are going for, you know, crazy amounts of dollars. 400 square feet. There's some prison cells that are bigger than that. I'm Rob Black. If you have any thoughts, anything you want to talk about today, drop me an email. Rob at robblackshow.com. That's Rob at robblackshow.com. Tweet me, Rob Black Show. YouTube, Rob Black Show. Find me online at robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Some days I like to slow down and just stop and think about disruption, talk about things that are, you know, just boggles your mind. Like YouTube a couple years ago, Google buys YouTube and everyone's like, that's crazy. They spent billions and billions of dollars. And a couple years later, you're starting to see why they spent so much money. Google has announced that it's going to be spending money on some of YouTube's biggest stars to help them develop new show ideas. This comes as the site faces competition from Facebook over control of the most popular online personalities. In a post at the official YouTube blog, Alex Carlos, the head of YouTube Originals, that Google would be funding new video projects. 
from YouTube's big names. There's someone, and again, this is just showing you how I don't get it. One of my bosses in TV, his name's Jem. He's got a son who watches YouTube all day long. I've seen like cousins watch YouTube all day long. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, just watching YouTube, and he'll start cracking up. And There's different personalities, and the top personalities that you find on YouTube, it freaks me out to think about because I don't know any of the names. And there's going to be a big battle now between Facebook and Google um, for the, these, this talent. Uh, there's someone named, you know, Cove Jumba, uh, Toby Turner, Philip DeFranco, Sm- Smosh. Smosh is a comedy team, two guys. I, I just don't get it. Shane Dawson. The Runaway Guys, Dave Days. Now, what's interesting to note about this is these people are pulling in as many views as network television. So I grew up with network television. I grew up with Battle of the Network Stars. Dan Haggerty, Grizzly Adams, you know, racing against Buck Rogers, Gil Gerard. Like, awesome. Beedy, 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 beedy. What's up, Buck? Um, now, kids won't even bother with television anymore. Tony Mendez? BayAreaLoneSource.com. Are you watching YouTube plot? Yeah, on occasion. You okay. know, I check some videos. I check some subscriptions that I'm part of, and it's about it. It's not, it's not the big subscriptions. How's that work? Well, you just find something you like and then subscribe. So, they, you know, any up, new uploads, they come right to you. It notifies you, and you can go and check them out. Okay. I've got a channel there called uh, Rob Black Show, but what I guess I'm trying to get at is, um, is it taken away from your TV time, or do you ever find yourself like, I'm just going to, you know, go through YouTube tonight. We recently got rid of a TV, so okay. we have one now, okay. and we have two DVRs or two sure. channels to tape, but only one TV to watch. So occasionally my wife will watch something, and I'll watch something on YouTube. And okay. I, I get caught up in it. You get, it's funny how you start at one place and you end up at another all the oh, way yeah. at the end because there's so many di- most popular watch and all that stuff. So, yeah, occasionally I'll watch it. The only time I get really caught up in it is pranks. <laughs> like it, Fails. Um, fails at pranks. Like for me, it's something about boyfriend, you know, hiding in the closet. Girlfriend comes out at home, and you know, then she sets up. But, the but I'm not. I, I see where you, I see where you're going. I'm not watching TV, or yeah. I'm not watching a lot of videos. Now, here's the thing. I was just looking through my budget recently and how much money I saved last year. I was, I was, I was thrilled with myself. Thrilled with myself. Um, I wasn't a big spinner last year, so I'm happy to see that. I'm not on YouTube. The people who are on YouTube are big spenders. It's people who are, you know. 12-year-old kids to 25-year-old kids. Um, because the 25-year-old kid doesn't have a job or he's kind of like, eh, he doesn't want to dish out 100 bucks for cable TV. So he's getting his TV, his entertainment any other way. But the 12-year-old kids, they sit on the couch. And I tell you, like I said, I've got a cousin who, um, he's, he'll spend four to five hours just surfing YouTube. So it's kind of a big disruptor and people don't look at it like that. And now here's the problem is that Google got away with murder with the whole YouTube channel. They had it all to themselves. And now Facebook's jumping in and saying, you know, we've got money. We'll pay Shush. Shush is going to make a movie. Shosh is going to make a movie. Smosh. See, this is how bad it, I am at this. So these two guys, you know, they just do little parody things. Um, like a 15-hour energy drink. And, you know, it's got 11 million views. CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox looked at that and go, that's pretty impressive. That's a whole, you know, Monday night show. That's Monday night football. Not quite Monday Night Football, but, 
you know, that's uh, Hannibal. Hannibal doesn't have 11 million viewers. So point being is YouTube's got something. And it'll be interesting to see if they're able to keep it because now that we're starting to see people who can make a million dollars doing stupid prank videos, doing stupid gag reels, doing, and that's all this is. Now that we see that, Facebook's going to jump in and start jacking up the cost of talent. And they're going to become networks. And they're going to run into the same exact problems of who's going to get the uh, uh, sitcom. You know, uh, the whole Amazon making pilot TV shows, uh, Netflix making TV shows, Hulu has their own shows that are exclusive to Hulu. There's so much, so much of it, damn entertainment to cons- consume out there. And again, who are the consumers that you want? 18 to 25-year-olds, people who throw money away, don't save, spend recklessly, travel. Anyway, no other comment from you on that? No, it's just you sound surprised that this has always been the way. I mean, it was in, when we were growing up, it was CDs. We bought CDs. We bought yeah. uh, toys for our cars. We bought pet you rocks. Know, I heard a musician explain the other day why people aren't buying CDs as much. I don't think he's wrong. I, I'm just trying to think it through. Um, it's that redhead singer from England. I'll never remember his name. Ed Sherman. Um, Ed Sherwin? Ed Sherman. Ed Edward. Oh, let me see. He said... Not quite. Ed Sherman. Anyway. Anyway, what he said was kind of interesting. Um, he said, we're just not going to stores as much anymore. And I kind of believe that. We, if I were going to Best Buy, I'd be like, ooh, the Killers have a new album out. I'll pick that up because I like the Killers. Ooh, Coldplay's got a new album. Again, for me, that shows you that I'm not listening to new music as much as I used to listen to new music because I'm just staying with my tried and trues. But I'm not going to stores. So the shifting demographic's pretty impressive. That He's saying, like, you know, people are still listening and people are still buying um, they're just buying more of their tried and trues. So it's like um, the album sales for um, the Elton Johns are, are killing the, the new music album sales. I hate, I hate saying this, and I hope my wife's not listening, because I, I remember when I first met her, I was like, hey, that's a big CD collection. She was part of one of those CD clubs where every month she'd get 12 CDs. And I remember I was like, you know what? Wow, her CD collection plus my CD collection, this is going to rock. <laughs> Uh, I know it was awful. And then eventually I said, you know what? We're just getting the same CDs over and over. This just, you have to quit that. But I remember it was pretty funny. That's what we used to spend money on. Ed Sheeran. That's the one I was trying to find. Huge in London. Huge in England. He had his own private label. You know, he was distributing it through like a, kind of a YouTube type service. Pulled in a million dollars. But to get national and international, he had to go to a record company. Which was kind of an interesting disclosure on how the music industry has changed and playing it correctly. Anyhow and anyway, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Some segments work better than others. I think that was okay. Take a break here. Be right back. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. 
I'm Ron Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. If you want to call the show, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, don't be shy. I want to talk a little bit about Walmart right now. Walmart's a company that we all know and we all kind of love and hate. Tony Mendez has been, have you ever been to a Walmart? Yeah. You know, I've only been to Walmart in Hawaii. That's I, an odd fact. I live near three of them. I mean, just Okay. Um, one of the things about Walmart that gets people incensed um, is obviously, you know, they're such a big company that they come in and they put mom and pops out of business. That's what we all know, right? We all know that at Christmas times, it's like a football field. It's, it's just craziness, hit people trampling each other. It's, it's chaos. RVs will park in Walmart lots. Like, they know that. Like, and Walmart's actually pretty okay with it because they know they're, they're going to shop and get goods from them. And um, the history of Walmart, back from when I was studying, it was like 1950s, 60s. Walmart and Kmart kind of, you know, after the war, kind of uh, department stores kind of became really big because people wanted uh, appliances because we had these factories that were built up to make war machines, converting them to like, hey, you have a dishwasher. Hey, you've got a refrigerator. Um Kmart did the wrong thing. They went after Chicago, New York, L.A. They went after the big cities, whereas Walmart said, you know what, let's, let's use some data here and go after everything else. And what they did was they wouldn't let their managers make decisions. They would let the data make decisions. So if cat food was selling a lot faster than uh, bread, they put cat food you know, further back so that people had to walk through the bread to see the cat food. Um, so in the end, Walmart beat Kmart just by the way they approached business. Walmart was the, one of the first companies to use computers. Walmart was one of the first companies to use uh, data. You know, um, on weekends, I'm going to go get running shoes, but on weekdays, I'm going to go get cat litter kind of thought. So pretty huge company. Walmart is an irresistible retail force. It's unavoidable. Um, it's bigger than most of their competitors put together. Um, at one point in time, they were bigger than number two, number three, number four, and number five in retail put together. But now that we got Amazon, that's probably not true. They've got 2.2 million employees. Boy, did they just catch some heat recently because um, they're going to make their employees buy shirts. <laughs> that's And for a guy who's making minimum wage or close to minimum wage and telling them you, you have – if it's a uniform, the company legally has to pay for it. Kind of really – you know, they're saying, well, you can wear these khakis. You, you've heard of uh, um, unreimbursed employee expenses, right, on your tax returns? That's sure. probably where they're going to write it off. But Companies, uh, faster-growing international division, about 29% of their sales numbers more stores it in 6,100 locations. So they've got 3,000-plus super centers. They've got 620 Sam's Clubs warehouses. They've got 4,000 stores in America. They're the number one retailer in Canada and Mexico, and they're growing in Africa, Europe, Latin America, and Asia. Take a look at their stock. They've had trouble because in the recession in the United States in 2008, the retailer that couldn't really come back was, or the consumer that really couldn't come back was the lower income and middle lower income. They're not getting the pay increases. So when things got tough, you know, they tightened their belt, so to speak. When you take a look at a one-year chart of Walmart, you look at it and, you know, you can kind of see some stories in the U.S. economy, a five-year chart, a 10-year chart, 20-year chart, 30-year chart. It's a pretty good company, and it's certainly not going to go out of business, and it's something that you could probably buy and put away and do very, very well with over time. But I stumbled upon a story that blows my mind. The headline says it all. 
Walmart Mexico hosted an in-store cockfight. Walmart Mexico is under fire for allegedly hosting a cockfight in one of its stores to promote a soda company. Of course, when I think soda refreshing, I think cockfight. The retailer could face fines as much as 96,000 pesos or $7,200 of Walmart Mexico or Walmex is found responsible. Betting on cockfights is illegal in the city of Boca del Rio, where the alleged incident took place. Alleged? There's photos on the internet. Outraged animal rights activists posted the pictures on September 15th, demanded action from the retailer. Walmex spokesperson told Bloomberg that the event was not technically a cockfight because the birds weren't hurt or armed with blades and no bets were made. Ah, the story just went down. So it wasn't really a cockfight. It was just an exhibition. Please, no wagering, as Dave Letterman once proudly said. Yeah, the, the charcoal grills right next to him. Probably selling them. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a bad idea. So that story kind of shocked me and, and rocked my world because the headline was worse than it was. Um, but again, it shows you like the pervasiveness of Walmart and the pervasiveness of how much people really hate them. Um, one of the things that I noticed when I came to the Bay Area 14 years ago, 15 years ago, was it's kind of tough to find a lot of big retail restaurants, uh, not chain restaurants. Um, ch- retail, chain retail, you can find it, but it's in some of the uh, cities a little further out, per se. Um, second story that kind of blew my mind is this one. Take a look at this guy. Just take a look. Do you see what he's doing? And I'll explain this to the audience in just a second. His, his pants and shirt are all in one. That's right. So this man invented a one-piece suit, and it actually looks fantastic. It's called the Suitsy. And that's something I love about San Francisco. Um, he's seeking funding for his new suit onesie on Beta Brand, an online clothing design community that designs, manufactures, and releases retail products. Like, I've always been kind of lazy when it comes to, like, on TV I wear jeans. And no one sees that because I tuck my shirt into my jeans and I have a jacket and tie on. And everyone's like, hey, he's got a suit on. But no, 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 no. Um, and I'm, I'm big into the whole Aloha Friday thing. But if anyone wants a, a, a link to this GIF, or if, all, all you got to do is, um, it's an animated GIF, is uh, Google Man Invented One Piece Suit. And it actually looks fantastic. Um, so again, there is some innovation out there. And I think, you know, we have that to look forward to in the world. Now, something that I saw when the iPhone 6 came out, the line for the iPhone 6 stretched 12 city blocks in New York City. People are actually sleeping in boxes. Overnight temperatures dropped to 54 degrees, and people are sleeping in boxes to get a phone. Now, where I'm at with this is I'm done with technology. I've got a good friend who's a computer programmer, uh, makes video games. And he's like, hey, are you going to get the iPhone 6? I'm like, I didn't get the iPhone 5. <laughs> um, I still have my three-and-a-half-year-old phone that still works. Um, I've, I know someone who's got a flip phone, and it's awesome. Um, I think people's crave for technology, you know, that's going to be 200 300 400 500 600 dollars. That's a, you know, a retirement payment, um, a monthly retirement payment, or two or three. And I don't get the love affair with technology anymore. Um, I actually relax a lot more when I turn off my phone for the weekend. Um, one of the reasons I like to go camping, uh, I've got a friend who camped in Mexico, and I'm like, I should do that. Like, I really should do that, because that's when you really unplug. But how are you with supporting the new technology? I, I have an older phone, um, and I'm really upset with my carrier because, and the phone maker. They keep updating my software to, for the new phones, but it's not compatible with my old phone. 
So it kind of forces me to buy a new phone. So it, it, I have this animosity, and, I'm, I, and I want to switch companies, and, and then I go over there, and then you have to buy a new phone. So it's just – I'm just going to stick with what I have and, and just have a good phone. It's, I don't need – I have a computer. I don't need yeah. – you know, I'm in my office all day. Yeah. You know? And then on the weekends, I'm like you. I just kind of – you know, I barbecue, and I go camping or – It's kind of insane because um, what I use my phone for is like checking sports scores. Do I really need to spend hundred and you know, forty bucks on a data plan and a phone plan and all that kind of stuff to check sports scores? Like I don't I don't, I'm, I don't know. I'll be quiet. I guess there's some other things that I'm not allowed to talk about on radio that I use my phone for. Um stock research. Stock research. So don't go crazy. Um anything you want to talk about we can talk about? Eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. It's eight hundred five one six twelve twenty. Um what are you seeing these days in as far as demand for loans go? Is there any shift going on? Is it more younger people? Is it more older people? Is it more established couples? Is it? I'm seeing more buyers. Buyers in, in general. Uh, uh, there's been a kind of an uptick in applications recently across the nation. Um, most recently here in the Bay Area. Uh, this is the uh, you know the, the, every time of the year we have these. Phases, you know, during the summer it's busy, in the fall it starts kind of trickling down, and and then people start kind of going, you know what? Maybe I'll try to get some deals in the fall, and and that's what's happening uh, right now, where we're seeing some people saying, you know what? I think maybe this real estate cycle is having a, a little bit of a change. Rates have been ticking up, um, so uh, a little a little bit of you know questioning about what's going to happen in the, in the next six months, Rob, and. That's kind of getting buyers a little bit more excited and sellers maybe thinking that maybe it's topping off. Interesting to note. Mark Cuban said something recently that I found interesting. Uh, People were asked, billionaires were asked, um, successful people were asked, what they wish they had known about money in their 20s. And Cuban said that credit cards are the worst investment you can make, that the money I save on interest by not having a debt is better than any return I could possibly get um, other than the stock market. I thought I would be a stock market genius until I wasn't. I should have paid off all my credit cards every 30 days. Mark Cuban is very smart. I'm with him on this. I should have paid off all my cards every 30 days. Um, but you know what? The credit industry, the credit scoring bureau, they want you to have 10 to 16 lines of credit. More. More? Yeah, I, I checked mine on... Um, credit Karma? Credit Karma, and it said I need like 22 credit cards in, with low balances in order to have a, the highest credit score. 850? Yeah. And what's interesting to note about that is like, then you forget, like, did I pay my Banana Republic card? Did I pay my car? And, oh, my mortgage. I forgot my mortgage. When you have so many lines of credit, you have to think, I have to pay this today. I have to pay this today. I have to pay this today. But when you do use credit, pay it off every 30 days. Absolutely. Set reminders if you have to. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. It's Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. I was looking at a list of top 10 schools in the United States. 
This is actually the top 20 schools, but the top 10 are all based on science and computers, science and math. Um, there's a game out there called Minecraft, which is kind of like uh, Legos Online. Parents, I think, should try to enable their children to get as many math skills as possible. Legos are great at that because you start understanding building of foundations, building robots. Um, Minecraft is something I endorse. Uh, it took me a while to get it, but when you start building things, you start figuring out how to be a better investor, how to be a better um, entrepreneur, how to be a better spouse, how to be a better everything. It's all about the foundation, and it's all about like uh, doing it right and taking your time. I was looking at a list of quotes from successful people. And, you know, some of these are kind of like BS, to be quite honest with you. And, you know, things that they wish they had known in their 20s. One of them that I found kind of, eh, do something you love instead of chasing money. I agree with that on some levels, but not on every level. That's a little bit too kimbaya for me. Um, there's a lot of people in radio that, you know, if you're in management or if you're in sales, you, you can make a living, but it's getting tougher. Because, again, it's that whole YouTube thing. There's just so many places where our eyeballs are going. And the advertising dollars are following that. They're following it straight to YouTube. They're following it straight to, you know, other, other areas. So do something you love instead of chasing money. Eh, sometimes I don't necessarily agree with that. I would probably throw in there, Rob, that be good at what you do, um, whether you love it or not. It's something the, the millennials I'm seeing that they're kind of like revolting and corporations have to adapt to them, that they want to do something meaningful. Um, so when I speak with corporations um, to their HR staff, they're like, you know, it's very different. Like Generation X, be good at what you do, you know, play mm -hmm. the game, climb the corporate ladder. Millennials, eh, they want some social uh, priorities placed in front. Kate White said something, and Kate White is founder of Cosmo. She said, buy high quality. Now, that's typically a pretty good piece of advice. Yes and no. Like, you can go get great fashion at H&M that you're going to wear three or four times, and then it's going to fall apart. But now what we're starting to see, and we're starting to see, like, millennials rent fashion. They'll rent a dress, which is fascinating to me. They'll rent a purse because they only need it, for like, four or five nights of the year to be super sexy, to be super hip, to be whatever. So, but Kate White said something like, you know, I fit into a Prada dress that I bought 16 years ago. There's some truth about buying quality. Like, um, I would much rather a person buy a $4,000 Rolex than a $400 Banana Republic watch. Um, and I'm, coming, I'm just lacking $400, not Timex, but... I'm pretty sure you can buy a good $400 watch. But Timex, not Timex, but the Rolex will be worth $4,000 in 30 years, whereas the $400 watch will be worth nothing the moment you buy it. Um, so there's some truth about buying quality. Uh, it works the same in real estate. I can tell you that. Yeah. And like, um, you know, something like a Tahoe, when you decide like, I'm going to buy in Tahoe, you're buying quality, you're paying too much for it. But in 30 years from now, it's probably going to retain some value because it's still in Tahoe. It's still, you know, there's something with that. Now there's some dynamics there that make it very, very complex. They want to buy near the scheme. You want to buy near the lake. It's probably going to get better rates for skiing, but then there hasn't been a lot of snow recently. And then, so you start getting this kind of damnation game with it. But it's like buying a Matisse. I mean, it's still going to be Matisse in 30 years. Um, buy quality. There's something to be said for that. Other than, okay, now this artist, he may 
become the next big thing. I've heard good things about him kind of thing. Um, so that kind of speculation. And again, back to you on real estate and buying quality. Yeah, and, and there's, like you said, it's very dynamic. Uh, some, so many factors go into why you would buy a property in one place as opposed to another and the type of property. Uh, but, you know, the place like the Bay Area, there's so many nice properties, so many good school districts. Uh, that, and, and we've definitely seen it over the last several years where these areas have gone up in value and even more because of that kind of demand that people are saying, you know what, we've weeded out, uh, we've had this big uh, change in and um, shuffling of wealth here in the Bay Area. Now we can focus on where we want to buy. And it's really shown. And if you look at like heat maps, you can see these really cool heat maps on places like Zillow and some other places on where the hot neighborhoods are. And, and that's where people are focusing on. And, and that's the quality. Uh, and it's not just the house, it's the neighborhoods, it's the schools, the other amenities that are around. Places like Oakland and San Francisco and, and uh, Santana Row and even Fremont's going to come up uh, soon with the, the construction uh, and then that new expansion that they're doing. Uh, these are the hot areas that people are going to be looking at. And, and when you start thinking about the quality, yeah, you might spend a little bit more money. Yeah, but you're, you're going to get it down the road. You're going to get that money back down the road. And, and uh, that's what the whole Bay Area is about, is buying with the amenities that come along with that property. Yeah. Your commentary on Fremont, um, they're basically building a new downtown. When you said construction, you didn't give enough color. They want to make a higher quality downtown experience. Right. Which um, works. It draws people. People go, this is a cute little city. It's, it's going to be Fremont Santana Row, basically. Right. Um, the CEO of Grubhub said, money doesn't make you happy. I disagree. <laughs> money buys you things to make you happy. Um, that's easy to say when you're worth you know, a couple hundred million dollars. Um, money usually follows through your passion. Now, again, he came up with a good idea, basically mobile food, um, emotional and intellectual satisfaction. He can now sit back and say, money doesn't make you happy, but... Um, it helps. It's part of the equation. When you're 70 years old and you save nothing for retirement and you live in a trailer park and you're eating cat food um, and you can't afford Grubhub, uh, there is something to be said. There's a balance there. Now look at this. See this woman here, Debbie Fields, founder of Mrs. Fields Cookies? Way too good looking for coming up with a cookie company. Pretty good looking. Well, I mean, I'm not saying she's like she's Bible Belt pretty kind of thing. Um, but I don't even know what that means. If you're from the Bible Belt, I'm sorry. Rust Belt. She's Rust Belt good-looking. She's Trailer Park good-looking. <laughs> there we go. With that said, um, I don't even know what her advice was. Um, learn to manage the money you have now, no matter how little. I agree with that. I agree with that. I'm Rob Black. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 
1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. couple things I want to hit on. Um, this is one of those shows that's more strategic, hopefully, than it is, um, you know, business headlines. Some days I do business headlines, some days I don't. If there's something going on in business headlines that I have to tell you, I will. Trust me. I'm not going to skip it. Just skip it. Um, but like some of the headlines I see out there, pretty fascinating. The Uber effect. How San Francisco's cab use dropped by 65% in two years, tied towards Uber and tied towards Lyft. Um, it's reinventing the transportation industry. The traditional taxi services are feeling it. And it's going to cause taxi companies to step up. There's an app out there called Flywheel, which you can use to get a taxi, but no one wants to because, quite honestly, the experience on, on Lyft and Uber is cleaner. It's nicer. It's smoother. Now, the drivers may be just as crazy as the taxi drivers. We don't know. They just seem nicer to us. So we kind of roll with it. Um, more drivers are accepting credit cards these days in taxis. Taxi drivers still have exclusive rights to pick up passengers at the airports. Um, it's a shifting world, and it's going to be tough not to take that into account. So, again, what's going to stop Lyft or Uber from delivering packages? Um, right now, that's the big trend in venture capital is try to get something you know that we can bring to you. So, like, say that your grandma needs medicines. There will be an app for get medicines where that person will go to the pharmacist, get the medicine, take it to grandma kind of thing. And that'll take away that old, you know, got to get somebody to sit with grandma for eight hours a day. And uh, the personalized services, now some of them are solving like easy problems. Some of them are solving a little bit more complicated problems, but look for disruption. Um, disruption hurts the big company. It's not the small company who are the disruptors. Disruption is from the inside. And many people misuse that term. Um, it's like the term of millionaire. You know, for some people, being a millionaire, it's lovely. But if you live in the peninsula, being a millionaire is not that great. You know, it's it's not that great. You're middle class, lower middle class sometimes, maybe upper middle class. I won't make it that bad. But uh, being a millionaire in Arkansas or, you know, Florida, Tampa, I mean, you live like a king. But anyway, it's all relative, right? Joining me now, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Rob? Something that I'm, I'm kind of predicting for 2015, maybe 2016, is as interest rates go higher, people are going to start downsizing. So because they're no longer going to be... Um, they've already started, but I know what you're saying. Okay. Because the lower interest rates in the last five, six years have allowed people to step up into bigger homes with higher interest rates coming to the mortgage market, and again, we're not, I'm not saying anything like 7, 8, 9, 10%. I'm talking 5, 5.5. People are going to say, you know, I really can't afford that big home, so I'm going to go to a smaller. Well, room. you make it sound like they're going to build more homes that are, you know, fit that need. Uh, there's only, you know, the Bay Area is not going to build those types of properties unless they're condos or some land opens up, and there's some restrictions on going up in the hills um, and expanding the, you know, those types of properties. But, yeah, no, I, I, definitely people are going to start thinking about smaller properties and having those amenities that we've always talked about, how the Bay Area is just full of all of these amenities, location and schools and, um, you know, downtown areas, 
especially places like BART and, and um, Caltrain and so on. But people have already started doing it. You've seen how many homes, Rob, that you pass on a daily basis that are being built up. And they're not being built out. They're going up. Uh, and this is a phase that many metro areas are going through because there's just you, you can only go so far out without just being so bogged down by traffic, bogged down by gas prices, and and you know just the time that it takes to get you know your kid to school, and then by you know you get over to Bart or uh, get in a car and sit in traffic for an hour or so. I mean, we still hear stories about people that drive from Manteca into the Bay Area, or they drive from Brentwood, and you know they spend an hour and a half in the car one way. I know a person who drives from. Danville all the way to Palo Alto every day, you know, three hours in the car. Um, and people are going to can start thinking about the sacrifices that they need to make, and one of them will be smaller homes. And, uh, and, and they're not building condos right now. They're building, single, they're building uh, multifamily properties, but they're aimed towards rents or rental properties because rents are so high right now. It is the big market for new construction. Uh, no matter what anybody says, it's all about new multifamily rentals right now. So the Bay Area is not going to be building any new homes that are going to fit that need. So, yeah, so what's going to end up happening is it will push up, I believe, the lower end pricing range, even as interest rates rise, because it will be the more affordable type of property. And at the same time, we might see, as we've already seen in, in uh, Southern California, where higher end, higher end prices have actually seen lower in sales and and, and less people offering over asking price. And that's already taking effect in Southern California. We might start seeing that as interest rates rise. Do you think that there will be a rush? Like, um, I remember... Only if the sellers feel that home prices are going to go down. Who was it? Um, there will be a rush from investors then. Because remember how many houses well, were bought you have to also, You have to remember that those investors may also feel that Rentals. there's a... a well. If, if homes become more affordable, then the rents can start going down, and then investors will start selling off and saying, we've hit our peak, and then there might be a sell-off. So it has a lot of things have to happen in order for that, that rush to come to fruition. I think it's going to be interesting because um, someone told me that in the mortgage market, and tell me if this is true, that people um, – it's when rates change that you get the most business – Kind of like uh, if they stay at four five four five four five four five nothing, but if they go to four six, suddenly the, your phone starts ringing. People feel the panic. Okay. Um, and it happened in every cycle that we've had since 2005. It's gone up. People feel the pressure to buy. Comes uh, prices come back down as rates come up. Uh, people feel the, the the need to sell, and then there are buyers for that. There's just a lot less. Uh, and then rates hit the super low. But I think that when the rates hit the super low for the long period of time with the combination of low home prices, which is kind of rare, it was kind of a rare situation when we had both low prices and low rates, that it's going to turn into a situation where people may not be able to afford to move. So we're kind of throwing a bone in that scenario where we might have a rush. We still need sellers in order for that to happen. And why would you sell your house? At, and going back to your philosophy, if it's not the house you, you buy, you buy the payment. Uh, why would people want to give up a payment on a four hundred thousand dollar loan or six hundred thousand dollar loan at this rate and get a rate that's another one to two, you know, one and a half percent higher, and all of a sudden that house is no longer, you know, six hundred thousand. It becomes seven, eight hundred thousand based on the payment. So if prices go up and rates go up, it's not. It's kind of an ugly combination. And then we'll go back to the scenario about medium and low end home prices going back up. 
again, I think the next trend in real estate, smaller, but also downsizing um, to get something closer to where you work, get something with a view, to get something. I think downsizing is going to be a trend. Um, nothing to really, you know, say, okay, I'll just learn that today, so I'm going to go invest in downsizers. I'm not saying that because um, I don't think that's the right way to go about it. Anyhow, big IPO um, versus small IPOs, initial public offerings. Everyone wants to buy IPOs because they remember the 1990s where IPOs went through the roof. It's the IPOs that are bigger are the ones that you want to buy. It's the Facebooks, the Alibabas. But they usually give you a chance to get in much lower. Facebook comes out at 40, goes to 18, goes to 70. People want to chase these guys. Don't chase. Know that the smaller IPOs like a Zynga will come out at 18 and go to 5. If you're thinking IPO, think quality and think size. Don't think all of them are all created the same. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. I remember being a younger man and thinking that I wanted to be a millionaire. Being a millionaire was celebrated in song and literature and movies, motivational seminars, financial independence. But like Yogi Berra from the Yankees once said, the future ain't what it used to be, and neither is a million dollars. It takes $6.2 million today to buy what million dollars bought you in the 1970s. The past 40 years, inflation's averaged 4.8% a year, with a total inflation at 383%. In order to get to a million dollars, to be a millionaire by 65, you've got to start at age 30. You've got to grow your earnings about 6% a year. You need to invest $2,100 a month. Wait until 35, and you've got to throw down $3,100 a month. Start at age 40, and it's $6,100 a month. So somewhere, your listeners, between the ages of 30 and 45... You're, you should be saving between $2,100 and $6,100 a month. And the longer you wait, the more it's going to take you. A million dollars will buy you about $40,000. Um, will pay you about $40,000 in retirement. So the millionaires that I know, as a financial person, did it the old-fashioned way. They did it with hard work. They did it with prudent and disciplined savings. Or they got with a company and hit a home run with stock options. Most people either do it with hard work of savings and patience, or they hit a home run. Um, they took advantage of stock options, pensions, company retirement plans, other benefits. Some built closely held businesses with sustainable valuable and you know, well-thought-out succession plans. Uh, they invested in stocks with patience and discipline, enough to write out downturns and use the downturns as an ability to buy on discount. They weren't afraid to pay for good financial planning, good legal or tax counsel. They grew more of what they wanted to earn. So what's your plan? One area in order to get to a million dollars is not only do you have to save, but you also have to like cut down stupid decisions. One of the decisions that people run into is leasing a car. Leasing a car sounds pretty good. 99 bucks, 150 bucks, $250 a month. 
versus the car payment that would be 300 to 600 for the same thing. But you're going to turn it in in two years or three years, and you're going to get hosed if you go over the mileage. Tony Mendez is with me right now. Tony, you've uh, been in the auto industry early in your career. You help sell cars. What, do you, what can you tell us about leasing? Um, you know, it was a great option for, for most people if they don't drive a lot of miles. Yep. And then it's a good option for people who drive a lot of miles. How's uh, that? Well, you're, you're, what they, you're prepaying at a lower discount or lower rate for the depreciation on the car. So, uh, so most people that want to, most people go through a car every three to four or five years. Right. Um, so, what it, at least it will do is first you can prepay the depreciation, and it's usually some sort of money factor, and they calculate some sort of value at the end of that term based on the miles you're going to drive, and that's what you can eventually buy the car at if at the end of your three-year, four-year lease or whatever it is. Um, you also sometimes come along with a maintenance program. And you, again, have the option to buy that car or give it back up. So if you don't like the car after three years, you get a new car. So it, it fits a lot of people's personalities as far as how, how they go through the whole rotation of cars and, and wanting to buy it or wanting to sell it or however they want to do it. So, I, I mean, I, I like the option. It just doesn't work for everybody, though. Because I have a business and because I drive actually 12,000 miles exactly per year for work. It's probably gonna, perfect for I'm going to get a lease my next vehicle. Yeah. Um, but I'll also have a second vehicle. So that if I do go to Tahoe, if I do go on vacation, that I can use the miles on that. Yeah. Um, so here's how you do a lease. You choose the type of car you want. It's going to be a lower payment, but you have to be at fifteen or 12,000 miles per year or less. Pick your model. You do a test drive. Again, you're going to be in it for two or three years. You don't want something you don't like. Oh, one more thing about uh, leasing, too, is if you get in a car accident and you fix the car, you can still turn the car and you don't lose any of the equity, okay, or you don't lose that depreciation. If you were to own the car and it's your car, you're making payments on it, and you get in an accident, and then you sell the car, it does show up as a depreciation to the vehicle. So it's one other way to protect yourself against any losses. I'm going to throw a fast list here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to protect against losses, I highly recommend gap insurance on all leases. Um, choose the type of car. Pick your models. Test drive. Figure out about safety. Again, you don't... I saw that some company that makes a teeny, teeny, tiny little car that people can pick up and actually turn upside down... That's a death trap. Again, if you've got kids, wife, spouse, things along those lines. But then again, you also want to compare lease deals. When you return home from the dealer, be patient. Calculate the lease deals and figure out how much you can afford monthly. Talk price first. A lot of people walk into the dealer and they see a $30,000 vehicle and say, I want to lease that. How about you negotiate it down to a $26,000 vehicle and then lease that? That's what you want to do. Most people who lease are unaware that their monthly payments will be based on the final agreed upon price. So that's something very, very important. You want to negotiate up. Negotiate the final price of the vehicle up from a rock-bottom cost to the dealership. You can find out what new cars cost at a dealer for $14 per vehicle at Consumer Reports. So you spend 14 bucks, Consumer Reports will tell you exactly what they paid for that car. Um, and I highly recommend that. Commentary? I, I think I'm just going to get a 3D printer and print my car. You could do some crazy stuff with 3D printing. Yeah, they just did one. Um, I saw a person doing makeup. And like uh, makeup companies were contacting her and they said, you know, can we, you know, endorse you and you can sell a makeup 3D printer. And she's like, I want people to do this with their own 3D printers, not with yours. And like, that's the entrepreneurial spirit that's changing the world. And it's pretty awesome. There's this one couple that make um, the craziest cake decorations. So they got 3D printers tied towards sugar. Am I, am I rambling? No. Oh. I hit a, t- I hit a hot button there, though. 
Yeah, yeah. But then again, you can also make guns with 3D printers. Yeah. That's not good. Um, so negotiate up. Go to Consumer Reports. Pay $14. Find out exactly what that guy paid, the DR. Um, beware of gab. Your salesperson's going to talk to you. He's going to listen to you. And he's going to push you towards other things. Um, focus in relatively low amount that you'll have to pay. Um, it adds up. So get what you want. Don't, you know, try to tune out the salesperson within reason. Like, don't be rude. Uh, Paying the least. The larger your initial down payment, the lower your monthly tab will be. As with any bill, you'll face penalties if you fail to make your payments on time. Turning in your leased car early before the loan term ends typically results in a penalty unless you're trading in the car for another leased or purchased vehicle. So leasing's pretty good. And there's some, actually, Forbes sends out a list of the best leases of the year, in their opinion. And they actually compare a lot of like, uh, you know, here's what BMW is offering, here's what Lexus is offering. Um, and they tell you, like, this is the better deal. Um, and again, if you do put extra miles on, like, the, the only thing about, what you're getting into. Yeah, the only thing about leases yeah. are that they, they have a tendency to sell you on payment. So it's all about your payment. Um, at the same time, you can, and, and there's interest built into this. It's, a money, it's called a money factor. Uh, as opposed to going and buying, say, a certified BMW, which can come at a super, super low interest rate offered by BMW financing. So you, you weigh out, you have to weigh out what you're actually doing here in, in these scenarios and, and understand that leases usually not, not only come with the higher, they comes with that higher interest rate, but they usually sell it to you at a higher full price. So none of those uh, uh, strategies work as far as going out and finding out how much a car will sell for. On you, a negotiate. you can negotiate a lot. You can still negotiate. I'm just saying that they usually sell you on a payment. Which is important that you get in with a lot of knowledge. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing more. You can find Tony Mendez at BayAreaLoanSource.com. You can find me at RobBlack.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. A lot of times, things that we talk about are things that are changing the world on the show. Um, people are looking for deals. And when Travel Velocity and Expedia and Priceline came out, we're like, hey, this is kind of cute. You know, new way of booking travel. Killed the travel agent industry. It didn't totally kill it, but it's, it's hurt it pretty bad if it didn't totally kill it. Um, with that said, there's some new websites that just blow me away. There's one called Couchsurfing. It's not new. It's a couple years old. But if you want to go to Paris and stay on someone's couch or share a room with them, or it's just another way of connecting up buddies to find a place to crash. Airbnb is hurting the hotel industry because, again, people are able to see, I could stay at a lodge in Tahoe that has five rooms for $300 a night, or I could stay in a luxury hotel that has one room for $300 a night. And it gives people the option to say, I want to look this way and or that way. Um, with that said, you know, air travel... Uh, it seems to me that they've gotten kind of their monopoly back on. 
which is surprising because under the Obama administration, which a lot of people would say, generically speaking, liberal, um, there's been a lot of consolidation in the airline industry. Um, so the competition's no longer as competitive as it used to be. And what's happened is we've seen a big increase in prices. Um, they seem to have their act together. There used to be a statement, and again, five years ago I would have said this. Three years ago I would have said this. I'll never invest in an airline. Warren Buffett once got burned by a TWA, and uh, it was just too much competition. And that's killer because it kills your margins, and if you, for some reason, there's a slack in demand, it kills your ability to earn money. So Warren Buffett taught me that, and I'm like, okay, well, he didn't teach me that. It's just a statement, right? But now that there's so much consolidation, I mean, Delta, Continental, United, uh, US Air, like, they've all combined into two companies, and they were massive. So companies like JetBlue are struggling now. JetBlue once was like, hey, that's my alternative. But no, 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 not so much. Um, you're seeing companies like Southwest pick up international flights, whereas Southwest once was Southwest, um, but not so much anymore. Um, so I don't know how, what I'm going at with this. I was just interesting to note that, oh, okay, here's where I was going. Two years ago, three years ago, I would have said, I will never invest in an airline. And now I, I can possibly say I would. In fact, I think the airlines were one of the best plays on an improving economy in the United States. Now, here's the problem. Internationally speaking, we do, I don't like what's going on in Europe because we want Europe to be good. But they're now so weak that our dollar is getting strong, and that could hurt us ultimately. Um, you know, We used to bring a lot of tourists into our country. Now we'll be going to their countries and using our stronger dollar. And again, it's not that strong compared to the 80s and other time periods, but it's still better off than it was a year ago. Um, so the point being is sometimes you're going to make a statement that you don't actually live up to. I'll never buy an airline. I think airlines are in play on an improving economy. Sold a broker advisor taking action on any stocks mentioned. Um, and business models change. So I think that's worthy of note. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Money, investing, and more. Um... You got anything for me, Tony? No, you know, I'm just enjoying your company at this moment. <laughs> got to push my hot buttons, I suppose. Oh, let's see. You always ask these general questions about what's going on in real estate. It's it's difficult to answer because it, it's so dynamic right now. There's a lot of things that are going to be happening in the real estate market. A lot of people are kind of like so content with the low rates and you know home prices going up. I think things are going to change pretty soon. Here's my hippie moment of the day, and uh, I'm not moving to Berkeley. I'm not moving to Berkeley. But if everyone would do me a favor and sign up for um, catalogchoice.org, um, you could actually take a little bit of time every time you get a catalog, punch in the data that's on that, that uh, address label, and you actually get removed from catalogs and coupons and credit card offers and phone books and circulars. Um, I know you're saying, that's your hippie moment of the day? That's my hippie moment of the day. Congratulations. Do you know how much trash, you know, just comes in the mail? And it's probably keeping the U.S. Post Office in business. I took a Mucinex. I should warn people. I've had a cold recently. Whenever I take Mucinex, I'm, I get a little scattered, I'm a little shaky. So just throwing it out there. Anyhow, um, one of the pieces of advice I gave earlier in the show was tied towards IPOs. And I know that everyone gets caught up in it, and that's the problem, is one of the reasons I, I do this show now is I remember in the 90s, 
um, farmers were buying companies, you know, pets.com and overstock.com and whatever it was.com and, you know, uh, webvan.com. If you didn't have a .com, you were a .nothing. I actually had a guest on my radio show that said that phrase, if you don't have a .com, you're a .nothing. And that hurt because Wall Street generated just pump, 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 pumped IPO after IPO after IPO because they got the service fees on it. Um, and the IPOs, all they had to have was sizzle. You know, they didn't have to have the stake. They just had to have the sizzle. Um, and what that means is they have revenue growth, but no earnings. Now, when you see a larger IPO, like a Facebook or an Alibaba, they have the sizzle and the stake. A lot of companies just have the sizzle. And in fact, venture capital is paying them so, what not paying them, but funding them so fast at this point in time, just to get the sizzle, just to get to market, just to get the fees. Um, and then the people who are left holding it are the farmers in Iowa, who are like, I, I, I want me some of that excite.com. Um, it's the next Yahoo, I hear. Do you know Yahoo once was a $250 stock? And then it falls all the way to eight. Wow. Like, that's how speculative it got. Um, and I remember people, clients were coming up to me and saying, if I give you $10,000 in November, can you make it 20000 by Christmas? I'm like, you're fired. I fired clients because they were getting too speculative and too greedy. Here's a fun uh, question. United Airlines is offering $100,000 for flight attendants to retire. Wow. United Continental Holdings, please put your chairs in an upright locked position. Got some turbulence. They're offering retirement incentives as much as $100,000 to flight attendants to reduce costs. They're hoping as many as 2,100 out of their 23,000 flight attendants take the opportunity to pursue other opportunities. Passengers will presumably be left to fend for themselves in the new United. Your right to recline your uh, chair is is left into a cunning. Um, flight attendants, don't ever call them waitresses. It's a big, big, big mistake. Waitress, um, which for the record, that's why I love the Virgin Air model. Um, and that's coming uh, public. So IPO, they've got a great business model, fantastic business model, where it's like a computer built into the chair and you can order a drink. You actually don't actually have to talk to anyone and they magically bring it to you. You ever flown Virgin? No. no. Virgin America, not Virgin Air. Virgin Air is more international. It's a good flight. If you ever go to LA or um, back to Washington, D.C., it's cheap and uh, um, it's... You have to deal with waitresses. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, You got anything for me? Uh, See, I knew you were going to ask me that. Another blanket question. No hot buttons. No hot buttons. Um, yeah, you know, it's, I'm in real estate, so most of what you're talking about um, has some sort of impact in, in what is happening in real estate, whether you're saving enough money or you have too much credit card debt or you're worried about retirement, uh, interest rates, you're talking about maybe possibly investing in or not investing in airlines. I mean, it's, it's, it all comes down to money and, and how you use it and, and if buying a house makes sense or selling your house makes sense, moving out of the area, getting a job close to or a house close to where you work, it all comes down to can you afford to actually do this? And, um, you know, I think we've gone through a phase in real estate in the Bay Area, especially where people realize that real estate can go down. It's not always going to go up. Um, I think we're in a phase right now where there's a possibility that, you know, we could see another phase coming up. Now, I'm not saying that's going to go down, going to go up, but interest rates are going to pay a big factor in what's going to come up in the next six months to 12 months. 
And I think a lot of people are not prepared for this, including a lot of lenders, including a lot of realtors. Um, a lot of businesses have gone out of business because uh, there's such slow activity right now. There's um, a new research report out on the most educated cities in America. And I would buy real estate in any one of these. I think education ties toward ties into jobs. I think mm-hmm. jobs ties into real estate. Mm-hmm. It's an odd, real simple A plus B plus C equals D. But um, some of the names will surprise you. San Jose comes in at number seven. Seattle, number six. Um, Durham, North Carolina, and Raleigh, North Carolina, number two and number three. That research triangle is a fantastically mm-hmm. smart area. Well, I think it's not only about the education. It's about what draws educated people. And, you know, I, I'm looking at the list as well and see San Francisco's a little bit lower. Number 14. Um, you know, when you say most educated towns, is it measuring the ability to, to be educated or is it attracting educated people? It's education level and quality of education. Okay. They broke the categories into metrics as higher educational degrees of the adult population, number of doctors per capita, ranking of the public schools, the Census Bureau is tied into it, Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, also tied into with U.S. News and World yeah. Report. I'm blown away that Raleigh and Durham uh, are so high up on the list. But, you know, the research triangles have been pulling in smart people for a long, long time. Well, in a 45-mile radius, yep. you've got Duke, you've got NC State, and you've got UNC. Um, three great colleges with great histories, as well as, you know, um, business schools, hospitals. you got everything right there. Fairly good weather, too. So I think that's worthy of note. So sometimes you'll see a report on educated cities, and it does tie into potential real estate investments, potential rental markets. Um, if people are smart, they have well-paying jobs. Like, you're not going to see a lot of Georgias. Well, there's Atlanta, Georgia. There's, there's no Arkansas. Oh, no, there's no Arkansas. I'm Rob Black. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. This is kind of interesting. The dollar stores really came into prominence in 2008 during the Great Recession. I hate calling it the Great Recession because I did okay during it. Like, I don't feel like it was like Gatsby like, um, but maybe. I'm out of touch. I remember once when President Bush, the first President Bush, went into a store, a grocery store, like one of those campaign things where he's trying to get some media press and uh, he buys some groceries and the woman uses a scanner to like bring him up. And he's like, what's that? He was a bit out of touch. People have been buying his groceries for years. Um, so Walmart customers are considerably wealthier than shoppers at dollar stores like Family Dollar and Dollar General. Four in ten family dollar shoppers have a household income of less than $25,000, which is slightly higher than the poverty level for a family of four. Family of four might, you know, that's crazy. Because I saw a statistic that a family of four in San Jose, you know what the poverty level was for there, Tony? $77,000. For the average American poverty level for a family of four is $27,000, $25,000. But there's certain markets where you're poor. Hey, you get up. 
That's surprising. Yeah. Um, 27% of Walmart shoppers' households earn less than $25,000. But 40% of Family Dollar stores earn less than $25,000. Have you been in a Family Dollar? No, I've been in some sort of dollar store. The product? Oof. It's very hit or miss. Not everything's a dollar either. (laughs) Um, Like, if I'm on vacation, if I'm on a road trip, and I need a soda to keep me awake... No problem. I think I bought like pl- plastic forks and knives and some paper plates, but that's pretty much all I go in there for. Absolutely. I heard an interesting statistic, um, and I bring this up every now and then. The difference between people who will buy generic medicine, generic Tylenol versus Tylenol, generic anything medicine. Um, the difference is, what do you think it is? Cross- one, one to three. No, no. Um, 30%. People with college educations will buy things that are generic. People with high school education only will buy the name brands. Hmm. It's pretty fascinating to know because the quality is, there's no difference. I mean, it's like cheap gasoline in California. You see like cheap Pete's gasoline? Go there because California has standards on their gas. They can't sell it unless they meet that standard of gas. But people are like, I, I want to go to Exxon. Well, you're going to see Exxon commercials on, during the Super Bowl for a reason because it influences people to go there and spend more per gallon of gasoline. I think that's interesting to note. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I saw a professor who lives in a 6 by 6 foot dumpster as a story. I find that fascinating. You know, that goes, you know, ties in perfectly with the iPhone 6 launch when the lines for the iPhone 6, crazy. Um, first person who bought an iPhone 6 dropped it on concrete by accident, which I find <laughs> fascinating. Uh, but the line for the iPhone 6 in New York stretched 12 city blocks. If you walk 12 city blocks, it is a hike. Um, that's crazy. And again, that's why I think the lesson there is, okay, Apple didn't have the right product out. They just had small phones. And people like me who watch video, I, you can't like, you can't see the football when they're, they're watching watching football on a, a small iPhone. So now at this point in time, they're going to have the right product. That's going to create a problem because when you have the wrong product, you have that opportunity to step into the right product. And then once you have that right product, six months from now, people are going to say, now what? And keep in mind, Walmart, uh, not Walmart, but Wa- Wall Street is a discounting mechanism. So if Zachary goes and buys a phone. Or if Zachary goes and buys Apple shares at seven at $102, it's basically saying six months from now, you're going to be getting good earnings because this stock is near an all-time high. So what's interesting to note about that is six months from now, right now they've got the right product. So they are probably going to do very, very, very well with it for the next six to nine months. Now, there's also like going to be another launch of content material uh, product, which, again, has been kind of a theme of the show today. Um, probably in October. What will that refresh be? Will it be TV? Will it be what is it? We we know there's one more announcement coming this year. Um, so at some point in time, Apple what they've done because eventually their product ideas are going to run out, right? So they've tried to make their moat even wider and wider and wider and make their ecology tougher to penetrate, so that people stay and retain their products, and stay and retain their operating system, stay and retain their software. Um, and their quote-unquote services. 
What's going to be interesting to see is where are they in six months. If they're lower by 10% in six months, it's telling you that they have nothing. But right now, people are still betting on things down the road. So keep in mind, Wall Street is a discounting mechanism. So when you see a stock going lower for weeks after weeks after weeks, it's telling you bad news is coming. Don't wait for the bad news. Be smarter than that. We're in a stock market also that not only Apple, that's company specific, but then there's like the tech sector. How's the tech sector doing? It's robust right now because venture capitalists are pouring money into app makers. and The app makers are supporting the ecology of people like Apple and people like Samsung. Um, but then on top of it, there's the bigger picture of the overall stock market. The overall stock market's going to have to deal with higher interest rates in the next two years. I'm being generous with two years. It could be six months. It could be two years. But that's coming if the continuation in jobs continues to grow. It's coming, higher interest rates. So not only will the stock market have to deal with that, but the housing market will too. So you kind of start seeing that everything is an ecology. I hope you do, because that's something I truly, truly believe in when it comes to investing in um, the stock market. You have to figure out the ecology. You figure out who the 800-pound gorilla is. You kind of figure out who the winners are, losers are around that. At one point in time, technology was dominated by Wintel, Windows and Intel. Mm, not so much at this point in time. Now it's mobile phones, it's cloud services. I would say those are the two biggest themes right now. Anyway, with that said, I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find Tony Mendez if you need a loan at bayarealonesource.com. That's bayarealonesource.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.